I'm Tavi Black. And I'm Christine Young. And this is The Personal Element. Where we listen to an essay we love and then discuss what makes it so good. This episode, we're discussing Brooke Nisley's essay, Redefining Failure After a Brain Injury, which was first published in Hippocampus magazine. Just a small caveat here. The recording of the essay is a little grainy, but we thought it was really important to hear the essay in Brooke's voice. We hope you agree. Before 2015, procrastination was the name of my game. I'd wait mere hours before a piece was due to pound out a rough draft that quickly became a final draft after one last read-through coupled with a harried copy edit. Now I wonder what I could have accomplished if I had applied all of the brain power I had at my disposal. I'll never quite have the same brain function I had then. Kelly, my speech therapist at Scripps Encinitas' brain injury outpatient rehabilitation, prescribed writing by hand. Writing stories will help you reconnect the damaged pathways in your brain, she said. The first blank page of a lined notepad mocked me from the table between us. A month before that blank page stared me down in Kelly's office, I wasn't allowed to eat by myself. One of my vocal folds was paralyzed, making me a choking hazard. A few weeks before that, I couldn't walk. Another few weeks before that, I was in a coma. And just before that, I fell 25 feet out of a redwood tree. It will also help you strengthen your fine motor skills, Kelly added, since your grip strength is so weak. Before the damage to my occipital lobe doubled and tilted the sheet, the blank page had been a photo overcome. Now, I expected failure. It wouldn't make or break my recovery if I couldn't conquer it. It might help you to make a plan for what you're going to write. Think of your favorite movie and try to give me the plot in six words, said Kelly. Hazily, a henchman slicing Jack Nicholson's nose floated through my mind. Faye Dunaway's strawberry blonde curls bouncing as she moaned, she's my sister and my daughter. A gunshot in a veering car. A sun-soaked L.A. moving to darkness over two hours. Detective investigates water dumped in desert, I wrote in painfully slow, wobbling letters. Chinatown, Kelly exclaimed in excitement. Now try writing what happened to you in six words. I couldn't. Not right away. Pain shot up my arm the same way it did when I was learning cursive in the third grade, repeating the same word over and over again, line after line. But my traumatic brain injury wasn't a cramp quickly relieved by shaking my hand and flexing my fingers. And I wasn't tracing page after page of sinuous letters. I had written six words. Kelly didn't seem bothered by this. Take a moment to think and rest. There's no rush. Thinking things through lets you practice using your executive function. Even though it hurt, I managed to form all of the O's, E's, and U's necessary to get my six words down. They were even semi-legible. Kelly's face broke into a smile as she read, Got drunk, fell out of tree. See? This is how you get to the heart of what you're trying to say, Kelly said. She tapped the paper with her forefinger. 
if you can boil it down to six words, then you can expand from there. And it's much easier to write six words than six sentences, right? I nodded. Sometimes I forget what I'm going to say, or what I was thinking about. Then look back at what you've already written and decide what should come next. It doesn't matter if it isn't the same thing you were thinking of before. You don't even have to write full sentences. Describe one of the last things you remember before your accident. Kelly tapped the pencil still on my hand and then waited as I slowly wrote, Stained carpet, dark swirls, sticky, whiskey. I stopped, my arm hurt, and the pencil slipped from my fingers. Kelly smiled. Our time is up today, but just keep going. The prospect of writing a full page seemed impossible, so I started with six words. Then I'd write six more. I followed those up with another six. Sometimes I'd strike out a few since drawing a line was easier for me than erasing, and the result was an intriguing blend of words and images that took me in a new direction. After working on long projects for extended periods, it's easy to forget all writing starts with a few words, and they are all we need to start. In the four years since I fell, writing by hand is still a painful and slow process. I had a surgery to correct my double vision, and my vocal cord is back to working condition. When I write, I always start small and expand. I forgive myself if I forget what I'm trying to say and have to go back. I'm not perfect. Far from it but I make it work. Sometimes I do forget what I'm saying, but that taught me another lesson, letting things go. Joseph Harris's rewriting says, the paradox of drafting is that you have to work hard to get a piece right while still being ready to add, rethink, and sometimes discard large parts of it. Many writers struggle with this. I know I used to. Now I start with a simple list of words and build from there, letting things go when I forget to remember them. I allow the associations to carry me. I describe each with six words until I find a new thread to follow. Forgetting. Voice. Six. Chinatown. Remembering. Writing. So, listeners, if you go to our website, you'll see a photograph of Brooke, and she just looks in that photograph so carefree and beautiful. And if you looked at a picture of her, she's you know she's kind of hip. You think, wow, this this gal's got it all together. And mm. one of the things that really struck me, and and why I liked this essay, is because you just don't know what's going on with people. You don't know how good they have it or, or what kind of problems they have. And right away, I thought, wow, this, this is serious what she's got going on here. This is a, a brain injury. I mean, the title tells you. That's interesting you bring that up. I just recently read an essay or it's sort of an essay, sort of a reported piece in the New York Times about how 
you know, Facebook in particular, also social media in particular, but just in general, how we as people present like a very different version of ourselves to the public than we do privately and how, how that makes us feel lonely, you know, because it feels like I'm the only person going through whatever it is, or not even necessarily going through the same thing, but I'm the only person who has these deep problems when really it's yes. like deep problems are like the human condition. That's um, exactly it. I'll post a link to that, that New York Times piece to our website and to our social media. So if anybody wants to check it out. That's great. Yeah, right in the first paragraph, it, we sort of do that same, that happens in our brain, the same sort of, you read the first couple of lines and you're like, oh, you'd wait mere hours and you do a rough draft, like, and you just, just kind of get it out there really quickly. And I, I felt a little jealousy. I was like, who writes that quickly? <laughs> Who's able to just, you know, wait till the last minute, write something great and send it out. And then within that same paragraph, by the end, she says, I'll never quite have the same brain function. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So things might've seemed easy once, they're not now. Yeah, I actually underlined the very first sentence. It's before 2015. And then later on in the essay, in the second paragraph, she does again a month before, a few weeks before, another few weeks before, and just before. And that to me set up this feeling of like, oh, there's like a before and an after, you know, like before the brain injury is like one piece of her life. And then after the brain injury is another piece of her life because it is such a defining moment. Yeah. That second paragraph for me was sort of like in film where they do a rewind and you go back <laughs> to, oh, that's what happened. It's exactly. I, I like the way she wrote that before that, before that, before that. And then you finally get to the heart of it. Oh, she fell 25 feet out of a redwood tree. Yeah. And I, and that paragraph, I liked how she's so matter of fact about it. It almost sounds like she's reporting like a month before that blank page stared me down in Kelly's office. I wasn't allowed to eat by myself. One of my vocal cords was paralyzed, making me a choking hazard. A few weeks before that, I couldn't walk. Another few weeks before that, I was in a coma. And just before that, I fell 25 feet out of a redwood tree. And like those sentences are so direct and so factual. Mm -hmm. She's not giving us any emotion there. And it, and it felt almost like, like she was just reporting this thing that happened to somebody else. She does that throughout this whole essay. It's, she's taking something that is so incredibly emotional, so life-changing, and she's really reporting it in a way that is like, well, this is what happened and this is where I'm at now. And it made me wonder, did she, with her brain injury, because she didn't get into it very much, did she have some sort of loss of emotional capacity? Or is she just like, well, one of those people that's like, this is the way my life is now, and mm -hmm. I'm going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. Or am I just not going to write about it in this particular essay? So the essay itself leads to for me to want to read more about and she it says she's she said in her bio she's working on a memoir so I want to read that memoir yeah definitely so another point where the like emotion non-emotion came up for me was when she talks about like the first time she's writing those six word summaries and Kelly her therapist says now try writing about what happened to you in six words and then she says I couldn't and immediately I mm. thought I couldn't emotionally but she's saying, yeah. no, I couldn't because her arm was in too much pain. 
so yeah. yeah so to me that was like a interesting point of like oh we're almost getting into the emotional part but then we draw back and get into the physical part again right she's so matter of fact about her her brain injury and i'm jumping ahead a little bit but speaking about the emotion of it she says later on down the line when she finally can use those six words got drunk fell out of tree mm. and you just think, oh God, because now there's not only, oh, this awful thing happened to me. This awful thing happened to me because I did something stupid. And, you know, most people have at some point done something stupid, whether it means getting drunk or using drugs or whatever it is, something stupid, we've all done it. And yet, lucky us, our lives weren't horribly impacted because of this one moment in time. And so I just thought there must be so much guilt that she's mm -hmm. carrying around because of this thing that happened. And yet she never goes there in this essay. Yeah. And yeah, I had the same thought about guilt that she must, she must feel like a lot of regret for, for that moment when she took that risk and it didn't, it didn't work out. Even though, like you said, I don't know anybody who hasn't done something really risky when they were drunk or you know high on something it's it's just something that a lot of us do and like you said luckily we come out unscathed right i think about risky things i've done when i wasn't drunk you know <laughs> walking out on rocks on the ocean and my husband was like what are you doing out there you could get swept away you know things like that and we've all done it and miraculously survive. Some people don't survive. I mean, you hear about people stepping back when they're taking a photo and falling down a cliff, you know, mm -hmm. stuff happens. Um, but I, I just think that at least in this essay, Brooke is portraying herself as incredibly brave. And, you know, it's probably just what she has to do. She has to push forward. This is the life she's living now. And she's lucky she's not in a coma, I guess. She's lucky she can walk. Mm-hmm. And I love that she used that photo because she's so, she looks so happy. And I, and I just think, oh, I hope she feels that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up was this is sort of in some ways an essay about writing, which I think is really kind of fun. It's like a meta because you're writing about writing. <laughs> the first thing I thought when I heard that six word exercise was like, oh, my God, that would be such a great writing exercise for all of us, like whenever we're starting a new, a new draft of anything, a new chapter, a new essay, a new book, um, what a cool way to kind of really get to the heart of it. It's like a tagline they ask you to write for a novel. If you're going to, or shorter than an elevator pitch, just give me the plot quick. Yep. And it does kind of really force you to be really succinct and get, and get to the heart of what, what your writing is about. And then she, and then she talks about that later saying, the prospect of writing a full page seems impossible. And who hasn't felt that way as a writer? Like, mm -hmm. and again, we don't know if she's talking about the physical act of writing is impossible or the kind of intellectual act of writing as being impossible. Because yeah, like how, you know, whenever I start something new, I think, oh my God, I'm gonna, how am I gonna fill X number of words to get, you know, to get to my goal? Like that seems impossible. And then yet we do. Exactly. That's it. It does really at the end, she circles around to, you know, obviously she's written this, right? So she can move forward. She can write, but it, it must've just seemed 
a hundred, a thousand times worse than it looks for us when we see a blank page. Mm -hmm. Going back for a minute to the emotion of the essay, I did feel like there was one point, which I think is, is kind of the high point of the essay, where she does touch a little bit on the emotions. And she says, sometimes I do forget what I'm saying, but that has taught me another lesson, letting things go. And again, mm. there's so many different ways you can interpret that, like those letting thing go, things go emotionally, then also letting things go in terms of writing and rewriting that struggle. Like there's lots of different ways that you can take that. And, but to me, that, that really felt like the, the high point of the essay because things were kind of getting a little bit more emotional. Right. And she says towards the end, I forgive myself if I forget what I'm trying to say and have to go back. And so maybe I'm going to retract what I said about it not being emotional because I think that she's being really slick here where she's not directly saying, wow, I can't believe I did that. And this, you know, this impacted my life and I'm so sad for myself. And I think you're right. She's using the act of writing to talk about her feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It does make me wonder like if people who know Brooke would say that she does that in general, you know, like kind of skirts around emotions and doesn't go directly to talking about them or thinking about them. But, um, but she's so intellectual that she's thinking about them in terms of more intellectual acts. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It makes me, like I said, want to read more and see if this is a particular function of what she's doing in this essay, or if this is the way she writes about mm -hmm. emotion by using other acts. One of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the fact that she used the movie Chinatown. It's such an interesting choice to me because this is, you know, relatively recent, 2015 and after, and Chinatown was made in 1974. So it's of a particular era, you know, noir, and obviously it you know, if this is a true essay, it just is what pops in her head. But Chinatown wouldn't be the first movie that would pop into my head. And I, I looked it up. And in 1991, it made uh, the National Film Registry. And they called it as being culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. It sort of gives us an idea of who she is. She's somebody who cares about film. She's somebody who watches movies that are aesthetically important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, I'm slightly embarrassed to admit this, but I've never seen Chinatown. So <laughs> I wonder, Tavi, maybe you can speak to it. Like, does the plot of the movie inform the essay in any way? That's what I wondered too. And I haven't seen it in 20 years. And I had to go back and look at the, the plot. And I don't think so. You know, it's a murder mystery, but it's a really beautifully shot film. Towards the end, I liked the sentence where she says, Kelly tapped the pencil still in my hand. It's the, this detail that's sort of grounding us in place. And it's what I realized there is that there's only really one scene in this whole essay. It's the only place that we can see is her sitting at the table. She never goes to the scene where she fell out of the tree. She never goes to when she was in the hospital. It's only this one 
scene that we're in. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I would think that an essay that is not grounded in scene wouldn't work, but this does work, you know, quite well. And yeah. mm-hmm. I'm wondering how she pulled that off. <laughs> well, one of the things that is nice to talk about, because we talk a lot about different styles of essays, like last episode, we talked about Ellen Burkett Morris's more prose poem type of essays. And so what I like about this one is that it is a straightforward essay. It is like, this is what happened. And this is how I'm feeling about it. it. It feels more straightforward. But then as we unpack it, there's a lot going on. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. When I first read this essay, I really liked it, which is why um, we're talking about it. But, um, but also I did have that feeling of like, oh, this is so straightforward. I wonder what we're going to have to talk about. But then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we're finding quite a, quite a lot to unpack in, with, within such a straightforward essay. And, and I guess what we mean by straightforward is it um, has only one scene. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It, it only has one scene. It, there's no flashbacks. Like it just it progresses kind of linearly. Yeah, there's not a lot of like like we've talked about. There is emotion kind of buried within it. But when you're first reading it, you might not notice that. Right. On the first run through, you think, well, she's sitting at the table with her therapist. We kind of know what happened. We find out what happened. And she's able to move forward and learn and, oh, end of essay. That's what we think upon first read. But then you go deeper and you realize, oh, she's saying more than I had a hard time writing this out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I want to jump to the ending, which I just loved. I loved everything about it when she says, I forget to remember them, which is such a beautiful kind of way Mm -hmm. of describing forgetting because you're using that word remember, which is obviously linked to forgetting, which mm-hmm. I, yeah, which I thought was really kind of fun, a fun turn of phrase. And then the, the very ending, when she goes, brings us back right to the beginning, when she's talking about this six word exercise, and then she, then she describes the essay in the six words, forgetting, mm-hmm. voice, six, Chinatown, remembering, writing, like that is such a beautiful way to sum up what the essay was about and then also just to close us out like it felt like such a good example of closure in an essay Mm -hmm. that's true she's able to in this piece really make us stop and look at our lives in a way that is detailed and precise but not devoid of emotion Mm -hmm. Okay, so thanks so much to Brooke for trusting us with your your beautiful essay. And we will see you next time. All right, thanks for listening. To learn more about this podcast, visit us online at personalelementpodcast.com. There you'll find links to the essays we discussed, information on how to follow us on social media, and more. And so you'll never miss an episode, please subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you use. Thank you.